0: Uh, our second reading, uh, we have it wrong in the bulletin. Um, I'm going to be reading you Joshua 14, verse 6 through 15, and Joshua 15, verse 13 through 14. So maybe you want to... Oh, it won't be up on the screens, okay? Maybe you just want to listen to the sound of my beautiful voice. Maybe you want to open your pew Bibles, or if you're Baptist, you have brought your Bible with you. Uh, so we're in, in Joshua 14... I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. Hear the word of God. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephune, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said. These 45 years since that time, the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now... Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephune for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. And then in Joshua 15, verses 13 and 14, According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, uh, uh, Ahiman, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So of all of the places in the promised land, Caleb gets first pick. Because he wholly followed the Lord. It's been 14 years since my family moved from Princeton to Willow Grove. We had been at Princeton Seminary for three years living in a cramped apartment. My son Calvin lived in a Harry Potter cupboard that I had built in a few square feet between our kitchen and our living room. Both Rosie and Calvin had trips to the emergency room because of injuries caused by the windows in that apartment. Every spring, an endless wagon train of ants would rise up out of the floor and head for the ceiling following some call of nature that I never really understood. My wife, Ava, and I slept on a bed that I constructed out of recycled pallets about chest high off the floor. The space underneath it was dedicated to housing my books in milk crates. The heat, which we could not control, didn't come on until October, and the air conditioning, which we did not control, didn't start till June. And so when we left Princeton, we left our apartment without any regrets. And Ava began to search for a new place for us to live in, some place between my job here and her job in Fort Washington. We didn't really know this area the way that you all know it. And so the realtor drove Ava around to look at this house and that house. Some houses were too small, some were too ugly. And then, of course, there were the houses that were beautiful, but out of our price range. In the end, house hunting is always a crapshoot a compromise, particularly when you are buying in a hurry, the luck of what's on the market at that time, the reality of your budgets and taxes and mortgages. We like the house that we bought. It's an unaltered Dutch colonial from the 1930s. My daughter Mia, who has never lived in any other house, thinks that it's perfect. It's pretty, it's just the right size, and it has a climbing tree out in the front yard for her to climb on. But what house would we have gotten if we had our pick of all the houses from Huntington Valley to Fort Washington? Probably one that doesn't flood every time it rains. Probably one with an up-to-date kitchen. Probably one with a built-in library so my books wouldn't be moldering in the attic. Of all the places in the promised land, Caleb got first pick because he wholly followed the Lord. Now this week we continue in our series of sermons through the book of Joshua. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 13, have been about the entry into and the conquest of the land. That story opens dramatically with the supernatural crossing of the Jordan River, with the supernatural destruction of Jericho, the gateway city. And it closes with a recounting of just how far the Israelites have come, of how much territory they have occupied, of how many cities they've conquered. And it closes with the reminder, which we read a couple of weeks ago in Joshua thirteen one, that there remains yet... Very much land to possess. We've come really far. Thanks be to God. But we have so much farther to go. God help us. That of course is precisely the reality that we live in perpetually. That's the reality that the church lives in every day until Jesus comes back. We stand someplace in the middle. We've come really far thanks be to God, but we've got so much farther to go. God, help us. The fact that we haven't arrived at our final destination is never cause for discouragement or disappointment because when we look back, we see just how far we've come. And the fact that we've come so far is never cause for complacency or idleness because we don't. See how much farther we have to go. Everyone who's in this room this morning should spend some time, every once in a while, counting up all of your victories and advances that you've had in the strength of the Lord. And everyone in this room should spend some time, every once in a while, thinking about the new territories that God is calling you to occupy. That's where the first half of the book of Joshua ends. And today we begin the second half. The second half of the book of Joshua lays out the allotment of all of the conquered territory and cities among the several tribes of Israel. And of all the places in the promised land, Caleb gets first pick because he wholly followed the Lord. So what do we remember about Caleb's story? It's a long one. We read a piece of Deuteronomy this morning which touches on that story. It's uh, laid out more fully in Numbers 13 and 14. The story begins just a few months, perhaps a year, after Moses and the children of Israel have gotten out of Egypt. They've gone past Mount Sinai, they've received the law, and they've marched toward the Promised Land, and they've come up close to the border. And then in Numbers 13 we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So one leader from each of the twelve tribes is chosen for this scouting party. And Caleb is chosen from the tribe of Judah. Joshua is chosen from the tribe of Ephraim. For 40 days, the spies survey the land, and then they return to Moses and to the children of Israel, and they bring their report. Everyone agreed that it was a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Ten of the spies, however, also report this. And the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Because Anak are these giants. We saw the descendants of Anak there. We are not able to go up against these people. For they are stronger than we are. All the people that we saw are of great height. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. When the children of Israel, who only recently had been freed from slavery, hear this report, they respond in fear. We read in chapter 14, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Or... Would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us up into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now remember for a moment why this spying expedition took place. Numbers 13.1 We heard God say this, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. The report of the ten spies is a report based on what their senses and their human wisdom tell them. They saw giants, they saw walled cities, and they concluded that the job was impossible. But note this as well. The report of the ten spies directly contradicts and rebels against what God has already explicitly said. Send men to spy out the land which I am giving to the people of Israel. God says, I'm giving you this land. And ten spies, ten leaders of ten tribes say, there ain't no way that we can take this land. We're grasshoppers compared to these giants. Now just a word of warning to anyone who will let their senses or their human wisdom contradict the promises of God. Don't do it. When God says to his people, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. When God says to His people, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purposes. When God says to His people, in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When God makes those kinds of promises to His people, whether or not we believe in God is not a matter of optimism versus pessimism. It's a matter of faith Versus rebellion. We can take God at his word and say, thank you God, bring on the blessings. Or we can rebel and say, no thank you God, we don't think you can pull this off. And so we're going to go find another leader and we're going to go back to Egypt. And I want to say this very pointedly to some of you who are teetering on the brink of discouragement and despondency. If you're discouraged and despondent by the lack of progress in your life, by the lack of victories in your struggles, by the lack of blessings in your world, if you're discouraged and despondent, it's because your eyes are on yourself and they're not on God. And your trust is in your wisdom and not in the Word of God. We need to trust God. God, we need to take Him at His word. We need to trust Him more than we trust Himself. And we need to have the maturity and the wisdom that recognizes that in this life we're always going to be in the middle of this thing. Always on the way from darkness to light. Always in the midst of the journey from brokenness to wholeness. That journey will not be complete in this life. It won't be complete until we meet Jesus face to face. This life has its troubles... But that will never be reason to give up because we have received God's promises and because we are a people of hope. We are a people who've come a long way. But we're also a people who've got a ways to go. We should never be despondent because we have been loved by God and redeemed. And we should never be complacent either because there's always plenty of work to do. So the majority report, the report of 10 of the 12 spies, the majority report comes back, there ain't no way we're going to win this battle. We should retreat. But what about Caleb and Joshua? What do they say? Well, they have a different story. Caleb and Joshua, of course, saw the same giants. They saw the Anakim. They saw the same walled cities. But here's what Caleb and Joshua report. The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. It's a different report. And here's what Caleb says. Let's go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Unfortunately, the people listen to fear. And they listen to the report of the ten. And they ignore Caleb and they ignore Joshua. And the people rebel against God. And God brings swift judgment. All ten of the unbelieving spies who were afraid that they were going to die in battle if they were to go up into the land, they didn't even get a chance to enter battle because they were struck down by a plague in the camp. Dead. Of all of the spies, of all of the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, only Caleb and Joshua survived. And the entire nation of Israel was condemned to wander for another 40 years in the wilderness until the older generation, the rebellious and faithless generation, died out. The book of Joshua picks up the story of the book of Numbers, the story of the deliverance of God's chosen people from slavery into a land of their own. It picks up that story after this 45-year hiatus. The old guard's gone, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, and under Joshua's leadership, the younger generation is led into the land. And after the conquest is done and peace settles in, Caleb, because of his wholehearted faithfulness, is given first pick of all of the territories. To have as his own. To have as, as, as an inheritance for his descendants. Now keep in mind, Caleb is 85 years old. And he tells Joshua that he wants the hill country of Hebron. A territory that he saw 45 years ago. A territory the Lord had promised to Caleb after he first spied it out. And this land was granted to him and his descendants because Caleb had wholly followed the Lord. It's recorded for all to see in the official book of the recorder of deeds. Now if you're thinking this, Beautiful story of God rewarding a faithful servant who can now rest and enjoy his retirement. If you think that's what this story is about, then you've missed a key element. Let's take a look again at verses 11 and 12 of Joshua 14. Caleb says this, I am still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out of the land just as the Lord said do you see what's happening here? Caleb chooses the hill country of Hebron, the very place where the Anakim, the the giants that the ten spies were so afraid of, Caleb chooses the hill country of Hebron to be his home, and it's not yet conquered. It's not yet under Israelite control. It's one of the pockets. That's yet to be occupied. The Anakim are living there and the 85-year-old Caleb is spoiling for a fight to drive them out. He's given first pick of the whole land of Canaan. He could have chosen a peaceful territory free of enemies. He could have picked a safe city where the battle was already won. But Caleb, the 85-year-old Caleb, is not done. Now I've heard... It's said that the word retire does not appear in the Bible. Retirement's a modern idea. The idea that you work hard for a while and then you earn the right to coast until the end of your days. It's not a biblical idea. This life is always lived in the middle, on the pilgrim way. We've had our victories, but there is more to do. And yes, in the end, there will be rest. I often read at funerals, Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Yes, in the end, there will be rest. But on this side of glory... Our lives are a lifelong race. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, I do not mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So let's talk about some general conclusions from the passages we've read this morning and think about how they might apply to us today. We heard the phrase, he wholly followed the Lord again and again in the scriptures that we read. Caleb, he wholly followed the Lord. And because Caleb wholly followed the Lord, God gave him the desires of his heart. God gave him first pick of the whole promised land. Wholly following the Lord meant that Caleb trusted God when God, God promised good things. Holy following the Lord meant that Caleb didn't get scared when things looked a little dicey, when the cities had walls and when their occupants were giants. Holy following the Lord meant that Caleb chose an unconquered territory when given his choice of where to settle. Caleb wasn't afraid. Not because he was blind to reality, he saw the walls. He saw the giants. Caleb wasn't afraid because he trusted God. Because he trusted God's promises. And because he trusted God, he was able to wholly follow the Lord. So what are some of the promises that you know apply to you because you're a child of God? I hope you have a list of these. How about nothing can separate us from the love of God? How about, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. How about in all things God works for the good of those who love Him? What happens when you actually believe those promises? Well, for one thing, fear disappears. What's there to be afraid of? When you know that God is with you and that God is for you and that God has the outcome in his hand. When fear goes, then you discover you are free. You're free to wholly follow God. And when you wholly follow God, God does give you the desires of your heart because your desires and God's desires have begun to line up. A lot of the things that we're asking for and desiring, God does not give us because they're not in God's will. You understand that? When we pray in God's will, God gives us the desires of our hearts. Caleb's desire was not an easy retirement. Caleb's desire was to have an ongoing role in God's victory in the land of Canaan. And God gave him that desire. Five years ago, this church stepped forward to join the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It was a step that cost us real money, $70,000. It cost us a certain amount of anxiety. We were going from what we had known forever to what we didn't really know yet. But the session led us through that transition beautifully... Because the session consulted with God about the matter. They gathered and earnestly prayed together, looking for God's guidance in this question. And after prayer, the session was of one mind, and they shared that mind with the congregation. And the congregation followed their leadership. Five years on, we have no regrets. We're not looking back. We wouldn't mind if they gave us $70,000 back, but we're happy to be out. Today the session will have a special meeting to consult with God again about another weighty matter. Earlier this year we had a special conference here at the church with the Reverend Dr Ken Pretty of the EPC's Go Center. The folks at the Go Center are the EPC's church growth and vitality experts. Today's session meeting will take up the question Should we enter into a two-year commitment with the Go Center? A commitment that's going to cost us some time and some money. A commitment that we hope will lead this church forward to continued growth and continued stability and health for the next decade. I'm going to ask you to pray for your session this afternoon. We'll be meeting beginning around 1230. And I ask that you would Pray that when they gather for prayer, they may do two things. Number one, that they may wholly follow God. Not be driven by fear. Not even be fooled by the report of their senses. And number two, that they will believe in God's promises to this church. God has plans for this church. We've come a long way, but there's a lot of land still to occupy. And what's true of this church, by the way, is also true of you individually. You've come a long way. I know your stories, I mean at least most of you. And I know where you've been, and I know where you are right now. And I know there's so much further that God intends to lead you and your families. But in all of this, I have this confidence that God loves you and God cares for you and that God has plans for you and that God has you in the center of his will. My counsel to you is that you buckle your seatbelts, that you trust in the Lord, that you follow him wholly and that you get ready to experience God's favor in your life. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. We thank you for your steady, graceful pressure on our lives. Wind that is always at our back, moving us forward into new places that you would have us go. Father God, we pray that we would trust in the wind of the Spirit and that we would take great joy and great pleasure in your leadership, in your care, in your provision. Lord, I pray that you would remove our fear and our anxiety when it bubbles to the surface, I pray that you would come alongside of us and comfort us and reassure us. Speak those promises again in our ears if we have forgotten them or if maybe we just need to believe them more deeply. Lord God, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. Lord Jesus, you went to a cross to redeem us. Because you love us and because you have something for us. I pray that we would grasp the depth and the riches of what it is that you've done for us. And may that give us confidence as we live out our lives as Christian disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.